to healthcare disruption? It's you. It's you. Are you ready to join hosts Jerry Durham and Andrew Rothschild in breaking down the healthcare status quo and creating a customer-focused experience? It starts with you. Time to break it. Let's go. So last episode, we talked a little bit about the customer lifecycle and gave sort of a 30,000 foot view. And then in future episodes, we're going to go into some more specifics of some of the uh, each individual step. But before we go into that, I want to discuss uh, with Jerry about how he goes about finding the right people uh, for the front office, the PT staff, and the billing. Because we know in business, especially small small business, where uh, some of these things can be highlighted to, uh, to a greater extent, we all know it's about a whole team effort. And it's best when everyone is matched to their strengths and understands their role within the team. So Jerry, can you tell us how you, your focus on the customer life cycle helped meet kind of both of these objectives? Yeah, welcome back, everybody. And right. thanks again, Andrew, for being here. Um, so it's interesting. We draw, you know, we had gone through this process of hiring, excuse me, of going through our hiring process. And far before we put the customer life cycle together, we worked really hard on our hiring process. And it is to this day, one of the successes of the company. And what we did was we drew up, so it wasn't the process, it wasn't the hiring process, it was the issue was our follow through with it, as you guys will see how this comes together. So we worked with the company, did a great job um, coaching us, and we came up with really good um, roadmap and descriptor, descriptors for all the positions in the company. And we wrote up the objectives that would need to occur, and we posted them online. You guys can go on my website today and read them. Go on the um, go on the uh, uh, jobs part of my website and you'll, you'll see them posted there and it'll list the attributes that we're looking for. It'll list the job duties that you're responsible for everything. So you know exactly what you're signing up for even before you apply for the job. Now, great. Step one, step two interview. Everything goes great because everybody understands what they need to do and what's going to be expected of them. Step three, you get into your role and now I, the owner, of which I've done now start to give you job duties that weren't in the original job duty posting because I'm not tuned in to the customer interaction and what needs to occur at each point. So actually, you know, I don't want to say, you know, and this is all culture and, and this falls under that broad umbrella of culture in your company. So again, you have a great hiring process in place but what happens once you get those people on board are you following through on all that if you have a customer life cycle if you have the customer interaction mapped out then what that means is you've identified every touch point here's the kicker you've identified who's in charge of that touch point and what needs to occur at that touch point so let's go back to the billing issue that i brought up in the last episode and talked about how really that was the impetus for driving the customer life cycle. So if I put in your job duties and all the attributes I need of you and nothing is in the list of talking finance, giving people their uh, cost of doing business with us, any of those skills, and I hire you on and then I ask you to do that stuff and you're not comfortable asking about money or asking people for money or taking money, 
then I've just created a very difficult situation for you because you are thinking I was hired on to do this job. It's written that this is my job. And now this guy is asking me to do this stuff. That's not my job. And, you know, the in hindsight, the culture at that time was not as strong as it could be because I had great people and I had hired great people and they were trying their best to do a job that they were not hired for. And by the way, this is all in hindsight. And so it was once we, and again, I figured this out only after we corrected it and it was not something I thought would change as I was talking about the business metrics in the earlier episodes. Once I went back and really charted out that patient experience and who was in charge and what needed to be done and took the job duties away from the people that didn't need to do it, the culture improved. My PM, and by the way, uh, we're, we're talking about front office staff, PTs, everything, because the PTs were always trying to deal with billing issues and completely took that off of their plate and told them they were, they always wanted to help people. That's why we get into this. That's why you get into healthcare. So someone asks you a billing issue, you always want to help. But once we mapped out that customer experience and that patient experience, customer life cycle, we realized all these different things that were occurring. And so we were able to go to people and go, this is what you're responsible at this touch point. So you'll notice these things not on the list. If these things come up, this is where I need you to direct them to. So the people were empowered to say, I don't know. And you'd be surprised how much power that brings someone when you tell them you are free to say, I don't know. I don't know, but I know who does know. And I will get you there to that person. And I've really made it a point and I can see it in my employees eyes when you tell someone it's okay to say I don't know you're going to tell that person you know where to get the answer from you're going to get the answer from them and I said who gets to be the rock star the person who said I don't know is the rock star because you got him to the right place and you got him the answer so that mapping out that patient experience and that customer experience and really looking at what need to occur and who was in charge really made sure that I had the right people in the right position on the team. And my favorite analogy is a, is a right tackle on a football team. That right tackle is employed or is hired or joins the team to do one thing, which is all the job duties required of a right tackle. He doesn't need to run the ball. He doesn't need to pass the ball. Now he needs to understand what everybody else on the team is doing for when a play is called. He needs to know where the running back's going. He needs to know where the quarterback is going, but he doesn't need to have those skills. So the key to this customer life cycle is people understanding their role their job duties and how they fit in the greater good and greater functioning of the company. And I guarantee you that is the culture you want to create. And like I said, with the PTs telling them, you don't have to talk about billing. Not only that, I don't want you talking about billing and here's what you do. So I think that customer life cycle and, and the role it plays in making sure not only are we hiring the right people, but that we put them in the right position on the team to be successful is paramount. And it all came together. Again, it's not just one part. It's, it's how it fits into the whole. Uh, you were on another podcast uh, earlier, uh, Jerry, not too long ago, the Voice of the Patient podcast. And a question was brought up that I, I really liked the question was that it, is customer service, is being good at customer service something that people have an innate 
gift with, or is it something that can be can be learned uh, or taught? And you know, it, it definitely, it's a little bit of both. This is kind of like any other skill. Some people can be just naturally gifted at basketball, and then they practice and become even better. Versus someone like me, no matter how much I practice, I will probably not ever be in the NBA. Um, being six feet tall and white and can't jump. Um, <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> um, maybe not as a player, maybe as another, another capacity. Um, but I know with myself, not having a lot of customer service sales background coming out of PT school is taking a lot of personal effort. And I think I've really made a lot of strides uh, in that sense, just from reading books, listening to people like yourself, going to courses. Um, and there are people who are naturally gifted. What do you do within your company to kind of foster those skills or if there's people who you hire realize hey this person's a really good clinician but they need to improve in some of these soft skills what do you what do you guys do to kind of address that yeah so let me emphasize the point again the greatest effect on a customer service within your business and your company is having hiring the right people so defining that hiring process and then making sure you are empowering them within the role they're in to deliver on that job they know they were hired for so that right there will improve your customer service if you just did that and walked away customer service would be improved within your company so again when we when we ask about customer service and when we ask specific questions we have to understand within the context of what it's occurring i just anybody who follows me on twitter recently knows i just had a epic um battle with verizon and the battle continued and went on because the people I spoke with or their automated system was not empowered to do anything beyond go beyond anything other than saying, Hey, we hear you. How can we help? And what I found was the, so you're putting people in a position to say, how can I help you? And then once the customer answers, you've done nothing to allow them to actually deliver on anything. So putting people in the right position and then making sure they know their duties. Because remember, I just got done saying in my company, you're looked upon to say, I don't know that answer, but I know who does. So that's empowering in the same way. So that customer service within knowing the customer experience first, knowing who you have hired and put in the right position and then making sure everybody knows their role will improve customer service. So I just really, really, really want to make that point because as we talk about teaching people customer service and stuff, it may not be you need to teach them. It may need to be you just allow them to, you know, participate in the role you hired them for, right? And having PTs talk about billing issues. By the way, having a PT sit in a room with a patient and knowing damn well that you're going to dictate the plan of care based on a capitated plan you signed is limiting the PT from delivering the true value that they were hired to do. So, you know, there's another example for you. Um, to that point, if your customer experience is in place, if the job duties have been written properly, if your hiring process is in place properly, and then you put the people in there and the training is there to empower them and to make sure they know what they're doing and allows for open com uh, conversation with the managers and it allows for some failures at time to be learned upon, then everybody's going to be successful. Then from there, yeah, training, by the way, 
I, I love sharing this story. The current training is my staff coming back to me and telling me how, how we need to improve things. So what I found is the training's almost flipped over from the customer service side because they know these are their job duties and they say, Jerry, hey, I know we need to do A, B, and C. We're getting a lot of this question and it seems to be impeding our ability to deliver on A and B. And either they bring me a solution or they ask questions about how they can deliver. So ultimately, your customer service and your customer experience will improve by doing all those things. And I think a lot of the can we train people or this person isn't very customer service oriented. Why are they in that role? Well, it, it, it goes back to all those things. We didn't put the right person in the role. Just like when I was asking my customer service people to be salespeople and deliver financial information, I was setting them up for failure. So from the question you asked, if I took a step back and said, well, we got to train them more on customer service, I would have wasted my time, their time, everything until I got them into the right role. So that it's a really important question that that requires far more context than can we just teach it? Just like empathy. We, we have that question with PTs. Can we teach empathy? Well, the answer is yes. So now what's your follow up question, right? Because it's all contextual from there on out. So I want to put you on the spot for a second here and, and get into a couple of specifics, uh, being how it's summertime. We got a lot of PT students on Twitter. We got a lot of uh, new, fresh PTs out there just graduated uh, PT school or will be graduating very soon. Uh, hopefully a lot of them are listening to this podcast. So what kind of things do you look for when you're hiring a PT? It doesn't have to necessarily be a new grad PT, but any PT. Uh, what kind of things do you look for and the follow-up would be putting yourself in the shoes of a physical therapist new grad or seasoned and what kind of things should they be looking for uh, from an employer someone that they're uh, looking to uh, work for yes yeah, so um you know Again, let's take a step back. I tell the new grads and the fresh PTs coming out who reach out to me for uh, for some mentorship or advice or just a conversation on this. I said, you got to approach this and remember the mindset is you're looking for the right fit. So the person interviewing you is looking for the right fit and you got to understand I'm looking for the right fit. So I have to come prepared not to answer questions, but I have to come prepared knowing, you know, what is my drivers? What are my objectives? What are my why? What do I need to learn about this business that I haven't already learned through their website and the research I've done? And these are the questions I need to bring as I'm in the interview. So, you know, if you approach it like that, then it's going to be a far better conversation. And by the way, the person sitting across from you wants to be sitting across from someone whom, you know, did some research, who learned something about the business and who brought some questions and is open and honest about what they need, because nothing's worse than sitting across from someone um, and not being sure, wondering about their intentions. saying, I heard A, B and C, but it didn't really come out in some of these answers. So now I'm a little confused. So if you're honest with yourself first, and know what you want and what objectives you're trying to achieve. It's going to be a far better interview. Now, what am I looking for? First thing I look for is past experience. What they do before, before they got into PT school. Oh, we all know they were in undergrad. Okay, so what kind of work did you do in undergrad? Well, I went to school. Okay, did you have a W-2 job? Did you have a job that paid you money? No. Okay, well, let's go back to high school. What did you do in high school? Well, I went to high school. I played some sports. Well, did you work? 
Well, I mean, did you have a paper route? Did you mow lawns? Did you grow up on a farm? Seriously, and that's a serious question. Did you grow up on a farm? I mean, did you have to go outside and drive a tractor? Did you have to take care of stuff, right? Did you do anything like that? Well, no. Okay, so basically what you're telling me is you're sitting across from someone who's had a business for 15 years, you're 28 years old, and you're applying for your first job ever. That's what you're telling me? That's when the interview gets a little awkward. So I'm I'm looking for I'm I'm looking for life experience. Don't forget, you all come out with the same skills. I'm going to tell you that right now. Your school doesn't mean shit, and I will. It it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. Your school does not mean anything to me on your resume. So don't even bother writing it down. All I'm going to ask is, are you licensed in my state? And that is a yes or no question. If you're licensed in my state, then we can continue the interview. And I want to know what you did during high school, during undergrad. I get PT school, but I, I want to know what you did. By the way, what were you involved in? What groups were you involved in? What community organizations were you involved in? Did you volunteer? Did you have a paid job? Did you work after hours? You know, and I love it. I'll never forget the first conversation where someone called me. They were going to an interview. They wanted to put together a resume. And I had to beat out of this person. I remember the conversation. I was driving back from Sacramento to the Bay Area after a ledge day at the Capitol. And I had to beat out of this person that they had actually wait, uh, been a bartender and waited tables. This was like six years ago. And we spent my whole time on the phone writing up her cover letter related on how her experience waiting tables and being a bartender was going to be the penultimate experience for how she was going to deliver value to this practice she wanted to work at. And she didn't put one and one together at that time. And we had a great time because what you got to realize is your resume is going to look like everybody else's resume. You're going to have your undergrad, you're going to have your PT school, you're going to have your PTA job before PT school, then you're going to list your three or four internships, and all of a sudden these are just all looking the same, and then you wonder why we don't read them. Um, the cover letter is really the pitch. The cover letter is what sets you apart. What is that experience? What is going to make me call you and say, hey, come on in? Hey, Andrew. We got your resume. You went through this process. Come on in, you know, and be prepared, man. Like I said, do some work, find out what kind of practice it is, because I've had people that we've taken through the process who then come in and will admit to me they didn't even open up my website. And that tells you I'm just another job interview and I don't want to be just another job interview. So, again, those past experiences that you think don't apply to healthcare, you have to figure out how that applies to what value you're going to deliver me as the practice owner and how that's going to set you apart from the 10,000 other grads that are graduating the same time as you. So in a way, it's not that much different even than a, uh, a PT patient interaction. You know, like Simon Sinek talks about, not everybody is your customer. You know, not everybody is your employee and not everybody, not every employer is for you as a as a as a uh, PT. So it, it kind of comes around uh, full, full circle to a certain degree. Um, I, I really like the point you brought up there um, with, you know, the cover letter kind of differentiating um, each each uh, each individual. And it's kind of like why I've, I've, I've always griped upon why a lot of PT schools don't do interviews because it's, it's the same process. It's we're in a people business. We're interacting with people. Don't you want to know how 
people interact with people. Um, and I, I like the fact also, it just, this made me think about um, people, we, person we know, uh, Ryan Smith out there, uh, who was a bartender all through PT school. And I remember you talking to him specifically saying that was the best training he could have gotten for getting into this business because it's all about customer service. And I think, I think we focus so much on the hard skills, the technical side of things, the skills that we learn, the courses we've been to, really trying to get down this one specific thing um, coming out of PT school because that's the stuff that's really emphasized and it's really a lot of this other the soft skills that make i think make a big difference in in the real world so uh do you have any other thoughts any other things you want to talk about with uh with this any new bourbon updates i think we've covered everything we need to on this episode as far as with finding the right people and the right fit and i think you made another good point we focus so much on those skills we just learned in school for three years the the hands-on technical stuff but again that's not the differentiator so think about what that differentiator is and I think you'll be good. And remember that person you're sitting across from, if it's a private practice, you know, they're, they're making a huge investment and you, you've got to, you've got to help them to understand. You've got to help them to understand the value that you bring. So, um, pitch at any bourbon. No, I, I think, um, you know, every day with bourbon is a good day. So we can just leave it at that. And every day with baseball is a good day, except for the day after my giants losing, um, on a three inning, uh, uh, sorry, on an eighth inning three-run homer. But uh, other than that, again, we're still in first place. We're a little more than halfway through the season, so we'll ride this wave. And as this podcast continues, as the playoffs get closer, I may become unbearable. So we'll just leave it at that. So I thank you again, Andrew, and I look forward to our next conversation. All right, Jerry, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Healthcare Disruption. Powered by Updog Media. Join in the conversation. Tweet at Updog Media at Jerry underscore Durham. And at A Rothschild PT with thoughts. Head over to updogmedia.com for more content.